This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome everyone to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow and today I have the distinct pleasure of having one of my very good friends and a co-instructor and a fellow, oh, I don't know, daveler in uh, keys and key cutting and programming and EEPROM, Andrew Sexton. He is the owner of ATS Automotive Solutions in the neighboring state of Minnesota, Iowa. Andrew, thank you so much for uh, joining me. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be on. I thought we'd talk a little bit about keys. The reason being is I've been reading some uh, posts and threads and whatnot on various forums, some of them social media, uh, some of them professional forums. And there seems to be some misunderstandings and misconceptions. And hopefully, hopefully we can clear up a few of those. Uh, Some of them are just defining general terms and whatnot, but we uh, co-taught a class. Uh, you did the most of the heavy lifting at Vision this year. Vision, Kansas City, put on by Milwaukee. Yeah, I just did my best. Yeah, I mean, you did most of it. Certainly certainly made up for uh, my presence there. I suppose before we get rolling too much here, I would like to thank our sponsor, Napa. How does Napa support your auto care center through national marketing? Napa will build upon the already successful know-how-for-all campaign and promote auto care offerings and services to our do-it-for-me customer with support through sales driver promotions, optimize targeted media in local markets and proven channels, give your repair facility an online presence on Napa Online, generating millions of views per month. If you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the Napa know-how-for-all national marketing campaign, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. So to kind of get rolling here, I kind of divided the subject up into four areas. You know, I'm, I don't know if I did such a perfect job of it. I kind of started out with adding keys, simple adding keys, and then um, talk about diagnosing a mobilizer systems. And then I felt like key cutting is kind of its own thing. And then maybe towards the end, definitely not go very in-depth but maybe mention a few things about EEPROM or EEPROM, double EEPROM. I guess to start out with the uh, adding the keys that generally talking about the client already has um, a key or you've ordered a key that's uh, cut, ready to go. It just needs to be added to the vehicle. And in class this March, I thought you started out with a really, really good point that many techs, many shops may already have some capability. Yeah, uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, the scan tools they already own may have some immobilizer functions in them. Uh, namely, you know, Snap-on started adding in PATS functions uh, so you can do, you know, the older Tauruses and Rangers, etc. Um, just getting keys added in. So it's it's worth looking into your scan tool and seeing what abilities might it have that that you don't really need to spend a ton of money in order to be able to start providing the service to your customers. Yeah. I think I've noticed even a few years ago that Snap-on had added some PATS functions for Fords, PATS being um, passive anti-theft system. 
And I'm pretty sure I've seen Toyota and Honda capabilities in there. Yep. How deep they go, I don't know. You know, I'm pretty guilty of grabbing tools that I already know will probably work. Um, but certainly if you already have a factory scan tool for most car lines, there's a few out there that adding keys doesn't work the same as the others. I don't know if this is necessarily a good time to cover it or not, but maybe, maybe so. I mean, we're going to end up talking about it anyways. The ones that jump out at me uh, are BMW and Mercedes. I can't offhand. I don't think I can. None of the other car lines are jumping out at me that you don't add keys the way you do with, say, uh, a GM or a Ford where you kind of put the car into a learn mode and then identify the key, the new key to the vehicle by putting it in the lock uh, or in the ignition cylinder or near the halo transceiver and telling the controlling module or modules that, hey, this key is uh, okay to start this car. Those two, BMW and um, Mercedes, they they kind of come with key IDs already registered. And when you add a new key, like you need a new key, maybe the easiest thing to do is to go to the dealer. And you may end up sending the client to the dealer with proof of ownership. And they may need the car on the lot, so something to check into. The dealer then probably does not have the key in stock. They're going to order it. It'll show up and the customer will pay for it. They hand them the key and they walk out to their car and it works. Later on, cover some way or some issues and ways uh, to deal with these cars uh, when that option's not there or for whatever reason, an option that's not taken. Yeah. I think that was good. Yeah. Are the other vehicles... Most of them, you're going to plug into the DLC and either you're going to uh, kind of go through a login procedure, mainly like General Motors and Ford. And that's kind of the theft deterrent for adding a key quickly. You're going to take a while to log in and then that will open up the system to allow it to add keys. Uh, and that would be with a scan tool. There's situations, uh, Ford comes to mind, where if you have two already programmed keys, uh, through a few actions of key cycles, you can add a key kind of manually uh, without a scan tool. I think you had a situation that you can do it um, on other car lines. GM also does it as well. Usually it's got one key that's already programmed in. If you have a new key ready to go, you can actually just cycle it. It's worth just checking to see if every vehicle that you work on, just taking a little bit of time to research it and find out, does it have an onboard programming procedure? Um, a lot of vehicles do. So it's worth just taking a little bit of time, reading service information, uh, doing a little research online, asking around. Uh, each vehicle you encounter is just another opportunity to, to uh, gain some more knowledge on every car line. And then... We brought up Snap-on. Most of the heavy hitter scan tool lines, Autel, Launch, Top Done, Think Car. I think iScan. I probably shouldn't say because I can't think of when I've grabbed it to try. I should. But they have some immobilizer functions to them. And it's always getting better. You know, I can. I guess I can remember uh, Autel seemed a little hit or miss on some Fords. Take you through the login process and then you get to the point where you've 
going to add a key and then it won't communicate. They've uh, cleaned that up. And when I say the Autel, I'm not talking about the IM series. I'm talking about the regular like Maxis series of scan tools. We're not talking about uh, like locksmith or immobilizer specific scan, tool, scan tools or tools just yet. I guess the message really is check out your scan tool, you know, either through um, owner's manuals, user manuals, forums specific to the tool, just pushing buttons. You may find out you got more capability than you thought you did. You know, Chrysler's kind of that thing we got to bring up, you know, whatever it's Chrysler, FCA, Stellantis. I don't, did Tesla buy them yet? I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> um, they need to get bailed out again. The thing with Chrysler's is to put them into a kind of a learning mode, you need something called a PIN code or a PIN, P-I-N, not a not what you write with. If you don't like my accent, it's usually a four-digit code, and that has to be acquired. Uh, it used to be you could just call the dealer parts departments and they could hand them out. Uh, that is, at least in my world, that is not the case anymore. They they just can't do it or they won't do it. Yeah, they cut down on, on how many pins that the dealer could have every month. So the, they don't like to give them out very often, but there are some dealers that if you maybe purchase the key from them or uh, maybe a WCM, something like that, they may actually give you the pin. So it's worth just calling and asking. Um, that way you can get the pin code for free instead of having to pay for it. Then we have a scenario, a couple different scenarios, really. One is uh, acquiring the PIN code through Tech Authority, Chrysler's aftermarket um, service information site. To do so, though, you're going to need VSP credentials. VSP is Vehicle Security Professional credentials, and you're going to get them through NASDAF, nasdaf.org, which is the National Automotive Service Task Force, nastf.org. If you don't have one already, you can go there. And honestly, compared to when I had to do it, it seems like a cakewalk. They do help a lot more with what information you need to get. The biggest thing, um, in my understanding, the biggest thing is understanding what kind of insurance you need. That seems to be the biggest hang up. I think there's a lot of resources through NASDAQ on NASDAQ's site to help you and your insurance agent uh, get the right insurance, and then it's uh, submit some paperwork, uh, background check, stuff like that. And then you will be issued a, uh, I think it's still called an LSID, locksmith identification number, alphanumeric, and you use that on the, uh, we're talking about Chrysler, so tech authority, you use that and you plunk down, um, I don't remember the last time I bought one, is it 15 bucks? could be 25. You know, I I'd, I'd actually don't remember myself. Yeah. Anyways, most of these pin codes, uh, and later on we'll talk about key codes are two different things. The cost, I don't know if I've seen one above 30. Usually they're in that $15 range. Toyota is the only one that comes to mind of being a bit more expensive. Um, you did have to buy the, uh, the three-day subscription at least, and then purchase the key code, pin code after that. Well, not pin code, but key code. Uh, but they did change it up, and they did actually make a couple changes, I think, to to make it a little bit cheaper. Nice. So you submit that, and then it'll process your payment, and then take you to a screen that's got that PIN code. And then you punch that PIN code into your scan tool. Now, some of the 
um, I don't, I don't think Snap-on does it, but I'm pretty sure Autel and pretty sure Launch and Top Done allow you to um, add keys if you have that pin code, and then you can, you know, then you go to add the keys. You could also do all keys lost in that situation. The pin code basically, it's like a password. You're just gaining access in order to be able to to actually add keys, remove keys, etc. That is a really good point. That's a good definition too. And then I don't think it's jumping the gun. There are tools out there that are aimed more at the immobilizer world, at key um, key programming. I mean, there's a whole host of them, but you have the Autel IM series. You have the uh, X-Tool has a series both uh, aimed directly at locksmiths like the Auto Pro Pad and then uh, tools aimed at the uh, you know automotive repair segment with the... Um, the nitro scan tools. Um, also, Top Done uh, right now has the uh, the Ninja. There's quite a few others that uh, probably are lesser discussed. Not in every case. You got to be really careful how you word this. Not in every case, but in on Chrysler, would you say is it a good way to say it pre-can? I, I think that's the way we want to say it. The best way to describe it, probably. Yeah. yeah. Pre-can, these tools will pull the pin code through the DLC. You plug in, build the vehicle, and it will read the pin. And then you can use that pin to add the keys. The advantage there, of course, is not having to buy a pin code. The other thing is, is quite honestly, on some of these vehicles where modules have been replaced, the one that pops to mind is the wireless control module or wireless control node or the wind module, wireless, it's wireless interface node, right? Wireless ignition node. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I said interface. Eh. Anyways, when that gets replaced, a lot of times you can enter in your own pin code. You just make one up. The idea is you're supposed to get the real pin code and enter that in, but it's, it doesn't force you to do that. You make up your own. And that, that throws a lot of people off too, when they go to pull that pin code and it's not working, and they're trying to figure it out. That's a, a very common thing in the locksmith world. Not so much the automotive world, but the locksmiths, they seem to do that so that way it's, you know, you got to return back to the, them in order to get another key added in. Yep. I mean, it really messes with dealers. Uh, they're going to end up replacing the module because they don't have a means to pull that pin, and the way they get it, it's not going to be right. So they're kind of set up to fail. So I think that kind of rounds out the um, adding key portion DLC that, you know, there's, you may have more capability than you think. You have to look into that. And then there is a wide variety of tools uh, specific to key programming. And of course, um, if you have access to factory tooling or factory software with a J tool and uh, VSP credentials, uh, you can add keys as well. And then I think the next logical discussion point is diagnosing immobilizer systems that uh, cars are getting towed in as an starts flashing theft light or um, DTCs. And of course, the scan tool is important, but I find some invaluable, invaluable tools. I, I think I would go so far as to say these are must have for sure, one of these, and I'm going to list off, there's three of them that come to mind. There's one of them you sh- everybody should have, 
and then uh, the other two, at least pick one. And luckily for us, I think all of them are priced very reasonable. The first tool that I'll bring up, I think, is the uh, the diagnostic box TDB003. I think that is a must-have diagnostic tool in every shop. And what that does is it allows you to test the key, transponder in the key, the transceiver or halo. And unlike the other two that I know of, on proximity keys. So when we're talking about keys, we have two kind of, dis- I would say two very distinct types of keys. Bladed, the type that go into a ignition lock cylinder and you twist it and start. And then proximity keys, either, you know, you just have to have the key in the um, passenger compartment and it's going to be push button or uh, one of those twist knob starts, uh, something of that nature. Uh, the key does not have to go anywhere specific. Those are the two main types. I suppose you could be, we could be really technical about some uh, Volkswagen Audis where the key has to go into a slot, BMW, Mini, uh, that aren't technically bladed, uh, but they do have to go into a specific slot. And for test purposes, they're going to test like a bladed key. So inside the key is a transponder, a small chip, that when excited by field pulses from a transceiver reports something very unique and like an encrypted ID number, really, it's what it is. And we have to be able to test that. I gotta, I gotta know, is the key bad? Is, is the key able to report? And is the uh, halo transceiver, is the car able to excite the key? And all three uh, of the tools I'm going to mention can do this. The difference where the TDB shines, TDB003, is in testing proximity, proximity keys, that you can have this tool in the vehicle with you, and you set the key on the uh, tester, and you hit the push button start, and you can tell if the car is uh, sending a message or signaling the key uh, to identify itself, and then you can see if the key responds. And... It does have a transponder chip in it, but that's not really how it talks. Um, it's going to use battery and it's going to have, um, you know, probably an RF type uh, antenna that's going to message back and forth with the car, with the module, if you will. And the uh, other two tools that uh, are in this discussion is the X-Horse Key Tool Max. And the Autel KM100. The Autel is recently released, probably within the last what couple months, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just recently got mine, so it's it's been very new. Hey guys, Matt here talking to you about what the Napa Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the Napa brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact. Studies show nearly 95% of customers recognize Napa and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete a ProImage upgrade and take advantage of that? ProImage is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop. On the outside, it includes the Napa colors and distinctive Napa signage. While the public may know you as a reliable, locally owned business, a ProImage upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further. It is also 
a visual signal to your customers and potential customers that you and Napa are partners. Most importantly, ProImage really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed the ProImage project enjoy an average of 23% sales increase during their first year. ProImage upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A ProImage interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a ProImage exterior or interior upgrade can look like by visiting the Napa Auto Care member site and clicking on the Napa ProImage link under the Napa ProImage tab. Or contact your local Napa Auto Parts store. Your servicing Napa store can tell you more about ProImage plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa Auto Care family, the largest network of independent auto repair shops in the country. As far as I know, the Key Tool Max and the uh, Cam 100 do not test proximity. They, they, they can't do that, but they're very strong on testing the um, transponder chip in the keys as well as the transceiver or halo um, on the car. And therein is where you see the need for maybe more than one tool. The TDB 003 is so good with proximity keys specifically if you think you might have a problem. And then these other two are going to be also needs, you know, picking one of two of them. And Matt's going to kind of explain why. For sure, you're going to want one or the other. For sure. Either the Autel or the X-Horse. Or be like you and me and just have all of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I ever want to recommend people just buy stuff to have it and see what, how it works. But probably why I don't have a boat or a nice car or a big house or a swimming pool or <sighs> nice clothes. Yeah, but I got, you know, Key Tool Max and a Cam 100 and a TDB 003 and a whole bunch of other stuff. I don't know how any of it works, but I got it. One interesting thing, you know, with the KM100, the Autel, is they're coming out with universal proximity keys. And the KM100 will allow you to uh, duplicate or create a key, a proximity key, for the car in question. So that's an interesting uh, addition. What I... I guess what I feel is important, why I'm saying you need, and I'm not kidding here, I, I think you need for sure the TDB003, the diagnostic box, and one of the other, either the Autel or the X-Horse, is because when you go to test the chip, so a customer comes in, drops a car off, has it towed in, doesn't start, it's got theft codes, theft lights flashing. You really don't know is it on the car side or is it a bad key? And I think you had brought up uh, in class how one way to that we get caught trying to test that is call the customer. Yep. Hey, do you have a second key? Can you bring it in for me? That way we can check and see if that's the only problem that we have. And with this key tool max or the auto, you're actually going to take that key that they've brought in or dropped off and we're going to try and read it. Can we get the ID from the transponder? Um, what information can we receive from it? You know, if you're getting an incorrect key code in the system and we try to read this key and it won't read it, 
have a pretty good idea that maybe we just have a bad key and how much time have we really spent on it. We grabbed a scan tool, hook code, hooked up red codes, pulled out our, our key tool max or our Autel KM100 and tried to read the key. At that point, call the customer, see if they got another key, find out they do, boom, that's our only problem, and then try and sell them another key. Or if we find out we can read the key, which sometimes you can read a you can have a bad key and it will still read just fine. Yep. But we can use these tools to actually see if the coil is exciting, trying to read that key. And if we're not seeing anything from that, then we know that we need to kind of travel down that portion. And both of those tools have that function as well. Yeah. What I really like with the uh, key tool max or the cam 100 for the transponder testing and, and really transceiver testing, but mostly the transponder is the TB, TDB003 will test the transponder and tell you if it's good or bad, but it, or, or at least tell you if it's reporting, you know, is it responding? But there's really no details. The Keytool Max and the Autel, they give me some detailed information about the transponder chip. And so maybe on a car that, you know, this key I've had since I bought it, it's not such a big deal. But when a customer comes in with a new key and, um, you know, the dealer wouldn't program it, couldn't program it. They bought it online, tried to program it themselves, you know, with the little small instruction sheet that makes them do a whole bunch of stuff in sequence to add the key. And I don't think it's ever worked that uh, you could read these chips and, now going to any any number of um, sales sites for keys, and there's a plethora of them out there, uh, or consulting some um, resources, you know, locksmith type books, stuff like that. You can find out is that even the right chip? The car is supposed to have an ID forty six. You go onto you know whatever website or you're gonna buy keys uh, or whatever vendor call them up and they say it's going to be an ID 46 and you're reading this key that they bought off, you know, eBay or Amazon and it is not an ID 46. There's really no point in trying. You're done. They got to get the right key. It's the wrong key. Uh, that's just something the TDB 003 does not do. I mean, it's not really a knock because it does some other things extremely well. And then the other thing with all three, I just don't want to forget uh, all three check uh, or test remote keyless, the key fobs. Do they output and what frequency are they putting out at? And then you can use that as a diagnostic tool as well. You know, especially if they, again, I bought this key off of, uh, you know, eBay. It was really cheap. A quarter of the price of a new one from the dealer. I can't get the keyless entry to work. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not the right frequency. It's supposed to be. 315 megahertz it's 433 it'll never work those tools are extremely important uh, from the diagnostic end of things and that's not to discount scan tools and scopes and um, you know I know some people used to use like AM radios this uh, these tools come in very handy save you a lot of time give you direction I mean that a lot of times we just need direction the other thing to note on the X horse the key tool max it can also be paired to your key machine. Uh, so that way you can actually use that as a device to 
program to cut the keys, that kind of stuff. So that way you're not using a phone. It's always kind of weirded me out to use my phone. My phone is always going off. Last thing I want to be doing is cutting the key and find out I get a phone call in the middle of it and it goofs something up. But yep, <laughs> yep, I, it, it weirds me out. And I, I feel Every like it's going to happen, but that's why I have the Key Tool Max. Uh, not only that, both the Key Tool Max and the Cam 100 also have some uh, immobilizer programming functions as well. The, you know, maybe not yep. the most in-depth thing, but th- there are um, a lot of functions there. Yep, and then I I have my Key Tool Max. Uh, I got it to go with my key cutting machine. Uh, just as you say, I I wanted to keep uh, the apps off my phone. I didn't want to be over there with my phone. Uh, another tool I've been using more and more. This will probably lead us into the next subject: key cutting. Is uh, X Horse has this new tool called a key reader, and you interface with that, or you can interface with that with your uh, key tool max and it's a high resolution camera that you stick a key blade down into and it reads the bidding. We'll just say, well, it looks at how the key is cut, makes measurements and you can use that uh, either directly with one of their key cutting machines, or you can just take that bidding number, punch it into uh, whatever key cutting machine you're using and cut the key that way. What I really use it for isn't so much that, can you think of anything else to say about uh, the TDB003 or the Key Tool Max or the uh, KM100? No, I think we pretty much covered covered those three. So now we're into key cutting. And when it comes to key cutting machines, I think there's really two main categories. You have the old uh, conventional, maybe uh, outside cutting, hardware, st- hardware store style uh, key duplicator. It's got a cutting wheel. You mount key that you're going to be duplicating on one end and uh, the other on the others for the cutting wheel, and you just trace it out and it cuts it. And then you have the other style, which is basically a tabletop mini CNC machine, and it will also duplicate outside cut keys. Um, I don't know that it does as good a job. A, a very few, but there are some keys that you're going to find difficult to cut outside cut keys with it. Um, but where you do need them is the high, secu- high security keys. Maybe the best way to talk about those is really anything that isn't a standard outside cut. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much all new cars are using high security. Uh, a lot of people even refer to them as laser cut keys. So if anybody's ever heard of that term, um, it's still high security is is the technical term. In the industry, you just hear a lot of people commonly refer to them as laser cut keys. And a lot of dealers call it laser cut. And that's a really good lead in because where I was heading with the whole X-Horse key reader is where I've been using that a lot is, as crazy as it may seem, I thought this was really maybe just local to me not that i was special or anything but just that the dealerships we have in town do not have key cutting machines capable of cutting high security or laser cut keys they have to order them and then they i think they get cut at the warehouse and it sets them back a day or more they have to wait for the keys to get cut and then sent so have put together a three-fold flyer about services that our shop can provide other shops module programming Road force balancing. We got a big, big press 
uh, so for some press work, blast cabinet, uh, stuff like that. So stuff that we can uh, flywheel grinder, stuff that we can market to other shops of our capabilities and how to help them out. Not they don't have to send the customer to us. It's we're we're, we're going to help them out. And of course, key cuttings on there, key cutting and programming. I decided to drop the flyers off and talk to the service managers and parts managers at the dealerships. And it turns out they do not have key cutting machines capable of doing the high security keys. So I get to do, I think, a fair number of keys for the dealers. They send me the new keys uh, with a key code or key to duplicate. So that's the other term. Key code um, is a alphanumeric code that the key cutting machines or apps translate or un- or decrypt, I guess, into a bidding, the bidding uh, of the key. And the bidding of the key is where the key gets cut and how deep. So if we had an eight bit key, there would be eight specific points on that key measured from uh, the tip or the shoulder of the key eight very specific spots that are going to be cut at a certain depth. And that's the bidding. And um, what the key code would be is almost like a tiny URL, I guess. They shrink it down. It's usually, what, five digits starting with a letter, usually? Yeah, four to five, typically. Yeah, having said that, no. First one everyone sees will be different from that. But most of them that I see are kind of like that. They start out with a letter and then it's four digits or... Uh, price four is numbers. Be usually like an M1350 or something like that. Yep. Yep. So the the way to get a key code is uh, like we were talking with pin codes with your VSP. Uh, same scenario. A lot of times you get them at the same time. Um, you can get the pin code and the key code together uh, and then go and cut that key. Andrew has a really good rant about... Uh, key codes and what to do with them after you're done cutting the key. Uh, when you guys pull key codes, the biggest thing that we have to remember is that this is sensitive information. Uh, so if you take a photo, if you print it off, when you are done, you cannot enter that information into your shop management system. Uh, sometimes we we have some people that I've talked to that are oh I just I enter it in the memo, I write it down in the notes, something like that on their ticket. You cannot do that. If the VIN number or the vehicle owner's um, information is there, it cannot be kept along with it. So you do need to destroy that information. Um, it's unfortunate, but that is the uh, the trade-off that we've been able to have access to these codes. So, you know, if we start doing the wrong thing with them, we will lose access to them forever. And, and that's not what we want to do. NASTIF has worked really hard to get it for us. So Make sure you're deleting uh, photos, paperwork, anything that has that key code and that VIN number together. So if there's a way to identify the vehicle uh, along with the key code, that needs to be destroyed. Good advice. And then to um, finish the thought that I started with a few times (laughs) with the key reader is I never see the car. So they give me a key code or they give... Um, a key to duplicate is much easier to do, but the key code, I never see the car. I found that kind of CYA, I can check the bidding of the key after I'm done cutting it. Is it right? The reason I bring this up is I've, I've been burnt that um, my key machine miscut a key 
And the reason was, is I couldn't see it so well on the machine when, so these CNC style machines, they have, of course, the cutter, the drill bit, if you will, with the flat end, right? It's like a CNC machine, right? That the cutting bit. And then it also has a test probe or measuring probe. The measuring probe was tweaked ever so slightly. It was bent a little bit. I couldn't see it on the machine. I couldn't see it bent on the machine, but it screwed up this key and I was pretty miffed. So I took the test probe out because I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I was calibrating and all that. If I rolled the probe, the test probe on a bench, kind of like testing a pool cue, uh, pool cue, you could see the wobble. Uh, so that test probe was tweaked a little bit. So now, of course, I'm a little more anal about checking that. But now also, I, I take the key after I'm done cutting it. And since I had the key code, I can see on my machine where it decoded it. And I can see the bidding. I can stick it in that key reader and verify that it made the proper cut before it leaves. And just a little bit more confidence. And I don't know, the, the price of that reader wasn't too horrible. Uh, and for me, it was worth it. Yeah, it was worth it for me. That peace of mind, because I was I was so embarrassed um, and upset. Because with anything, you get comfortable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I first started cutting keys, I was always so scared. Like, brace myself for after I cut a key to see if it'll work in the door and in the ignition. And after a bunch of successes, you stop doing that, and you just assume it's going to work until it doesn't. I think you bring up a really good point for a lot of listeners is when I first started, I just, I, I, you had your new key, you would decode the, the original key, you put the new key in and you'd cut it and just go with it. And then the first time you get burnt on a key that's super expensive and you just ruined it, you're going to, yeah. you're going to hate yourself. So what I've got in the, the habit of doing is there are things called test keys. They're just a basic metal key that is, you know, the certain blade that the key you're trying to program is. I, I stock those, you know, all the common ones that I, I do all the time. And I make sure that when I decode a key from a customer's vehicle, if I don't have that key code, if I decode their key, I always cut a test key and I go out and I check and make sure that test key works first. If it does, then I'll cut the key. And that's where this optical reader kind of comes in handy. If you do a little bit of research, go online, look, look at uh, YouTube. You'll see some some videos for the Zexorce reader. If you see the way that it shows you the cuts, you can actually change if it if it does read it wrong. You can very easily see it and make changes to correct bidding. And, and I find that that's going to probably be really handy for most people when you have a car, what you have a key being given to you, and you need to double check it. You can now use your key machine, and you can also use this optical reader to see if both of them get the exact same cuts. But I always use a test key and I make sure because these test keys, honestly, they're like 50 cents, 40 cents. I mean, it just depends on where you buy them from and, and in what quantity. But you're going to save yourself from ruining a $100 key. And that's absolutely worth it for the little extra time that's going to take. Yep, that's good advice. Yeah, and then uh, the uh, CNC style machines for duplicating, I find... I find that a lot of them, I do something called universal key duplicator. So instead of building the vehicle in my machine and having it measure 
the specific spots and cutting from there. I have, I find myself using the universal key duplicator, which now, if you will, does a high resolution measurement where it, it measures many, many, many different places. And maybe for lack of a better term is traces the key. And, uh, I use that. I have, especially if I have a key there that works and, um, a key, uh, or a, I should say a, a vehicle that's got a lot of time, a lot of years, a lot of wear that I kind of hesitate to cut by code because sometimes it won't work. <laughs> the key, the new key won't, won't work. You would think it would work perfect and it doesn't. So I end up basically duplicating what I have using that, um, universal's key duplicator and it traces out that worn key. And I essentially cut a worn key, if you will. There's capability. Uh, I've only had, only did it once and it worked. I'm scared to try it again where I can do that. And then I can kind of tweak the cuts a little bit where I can make them not so deep. Uh, if that makes sense. Or if I guess if I wanted, I could go deeper, but I'm not sure offhand why you would ever do that. So you can kind of leave a little material on there. Uh, the other thing is not all machines are created equal. Um, you do kind of get what you pay for. I guess no BS. I'm not trying to keep things shrouded in mystery, but the X-Tool Triton is my go-to cutting machine. I started out with an X-Horse uh, Dolphin due to cost because I got in very tentatively and I wanted to minimize my investment. That turned out to be not such a great move that it would have been worth it just to jump in. Uh, with the Triton, not that that not that the Triton's really all that expensive in the grand scheme either. Uh, one of the differences that I've noticed, the Dolphin cuts beautiful keys. It, it does a great job, and for the price too, uh, makes it very attractive, very portable. It's got a nice handle on it. It's battery powered. If you wanted to, you could interface with your phone. You're gonna want a uh, Key Tool Max, uh, anyways. So it'd be smart to buy it with it. But I've found that if you cut a key, there's really no going back. Just say uh, there was a mistake somehow, some way. You can't go back over the key. It won't let you. Or at least mine won't. It When it goes to check the new key, if it's already cut, it's out. You know, if, it, if that key blade isn't where it expects it to be, it's done. It's not, it's not doing it again. The Triton doesn't seem to care. It's just going to, it's going to do its thing. And I find that extremely handy. The other thing is the, uh, test probes or the test, maybe not the probes themselves, but the test probe function using the test probe. Some of them use, um, conductivity. So that test probe has a very small voltage on it. And when it touches the key, it grounds it or pulls that voltage low. And that's how it knows it's touching, which makes a lot of sense until you have a non-conductive key or key that does not conduct very well. And then you're going to bust probes like no tomorrow. The Triton may use conductivity, but it also seems to use like motor amperage. So when it's touching and it comes up against some stress, uh, almost like the uh, auto up and downs, you know, the pinch protect on uh, windows, power windows. I think it's the same scenario. 
that allows you to do more keys. There's more key options involved. I started off with the X-Force Dolphin. That's currently what I use every day. I have figured out it's a little intricacies. And I think no matter what key machine you go with, you got to spend time with it and you got to figure out the, just the little weird idiosyncrasies of every machine. Um, many, there are many people who love the dolphin, many people who maybe weren't, you know, super impressed with it or hate it, whatever machine you buy, take the time, figure it out. I use the dolphin. Um, I've had it for gosh, two, three years now. I haven't had a, a lick of problems with it whatsoever. Now that I say this, it'll probably break on Monday, but, uh, so be it. I do have a Triton, um, and I haven't really set it all up and, and gotten it working. Um, that is my current project, and I want to try and start using that Triton a little bit more. I have always kind of wanted to get a Keyline uh, Ninja or a, a Keyline Gymkhana 994. They are a very solid machine. I know a lot of locksmiths use it, but it is a bit more expensive than uh, maybe this Dolphin, and uh, I actually don't remember what the Triton was. Okay, looks like the X-Tool Triton goes for about 4000 4200 Yeah, since I got that, I hardly ever used the Dolphin. And I know there's a Dolphin 2 out. I'm not very sure what that's going for. I think the Dolphins that we got back in the day were probably around $2,500, 2, Yeah, I would say like 2000 maybe. Yeah. Man, ever since I got the Triton, I don't hardly ever use the Dolphin. Uh, it's been a great machine. A couple of reasons. One is the interface is right on the machine. Uh, so I don't need a separate tool to control it. The other thing is it's got the dome cover. you know, So you shut it. It keeps it a lot cleaner. It keeps the area a lot cleaner. Honestly, though, we're kind of picking hair, splitting hairs. We're kind of splitting hairs here that... You're going to kind of want two different machines, the, the CNC style, and you're probably going to want a old school, if you will, outside cut duplicator like you would see at a hardware store. Uh, there are a lot of them out there. They're not that expensive. Oh, man. There's weeks where I use that twice as much as I use the uh, the Triton uh, for outside cut keys. You know, it's fast, accurate, cuts beautifully. I, I just, I would... I for, I would foresee having one of each. I see a common theme here where we keep saying, oh, you're going to want to have this and you're definitely going to want to have this. If you step into the key world, I think everybody's going to find, depending on if you, if you tell yourself, I'm going no farther than this, you will eventually find yourself, you'll buy another tool and you'll buy another tool because that tool can't do this. And then this one can do that. Uh, you, you constantly, once you start doing keys and if you actually market yourself in your area, you will start finding people are being sent to you by other shops, by the dealership, by locksmiths. One of my best places I get customers from is, is locksmiths. Like uh, we have like one major locksmith in our town in our city and uh, anything they don't want to do, uh, they feel is over their head, which usually is European cars. But honestly, they send they sell they send me Toyotas all of the time. It surprises me what they will just kind of choose to pass on. But in reality, they don't really want to do automotive. As these new cars are getting more in depth, they don't have that knowledge unless they specifically go into the automotive side. A lot of them they want to do residential, commercial, 
maybe safes, they don't really want to do auto. So you may find in your area that they may send you all of their business. That's exactly what I found. Uh, before I started buying tools, I reached out to, there's two major locksmiths in town and I called them up and their question was, do you plan on doing anything other than auto, anything other than automotive? And I said, no way. I have no interest in doing anything but cars. And then both of them, I, you know, I contacted them individually, both of them. The second thing they said was, thank you. They thanked me for taking this off their hands. And I would be hard pressed to say which I get more referrals from, but I think for a long time, the vast majority were coming from the two locksmiths. It's probably now expanded out a little bit more as you gain a reputation as being that place. I also went to uh, Ace Hardware and um, explained my capability. Also just that I'm willing to help them too, but they don't, they're not really set up for a lot of stuff either. They're really set up for duplicating and cloning, which is something uh with key cutting, we should at least touch upon. Uh, we were talking about the uh, IDs of the transponder chips inside the keys. The uh, Key Tool Max uh, and the Autel KM100 have the ability to clone keys. Now, with um, Xtool, you got to use their chips. And Autel, I'm not sure what they'll all clone, but I'm sure it will be narrowed you know, to their chips or their keys. Uh, I know it is with the proxy ones, but I don't know if they're going to go out, you know, a lot like their TPMS tool, right? Maybe that's one way to kind of think about these things a little bit, TPMS, but they um, allow you to take a, one of their chips. So we'll just pick on the X, the X horse. And uh, they have these things called super chips, little transponder chips. You cut the key then you take the old key, read it, read the transponder with the key tool max, and it holds your hand. Honestly, it holds your hand on what to do. Take the key out, set the chip in there, or if the chip's already in the new key you've just cut, put the key in, and it will write that information to the key or to the chip. And now the car doesn't know the difference between the two keys. Uh, I'll level with you. I don't do it a lot. But when I do, it usually bails my butt out. Yeah, I just recently had a sob that I had to uh, have the tech to have everything I need to program a key in. And unfortunately, this car just would not accept a new key. And luckily, I took a minute, thought about it, read the key with my key tool max. And it did say that it was clonable in that information it gives you, it gives you the ID. It tells you if that chip is already locked, which if it's programmed to a car, more than likely it's locked. It tells you, uh, you know, is it a clonable transponder type? Uh, and luckily on this car, it, it was a clonable chip. Um, I was able to just clone it, throw it in the body of the sob key, and it ended up working and, and kind of bailing me out of a situation. Whereas to, you know, we don't know if there might have been something extra wrong with the car or something. I did try multiple keys, and it, and it wasn't a key issue. It was something with the vehicle, but... We were able to get them another key and move on without having to kind of do some more in-depth work. It's interesting you bring that up because I think it almost kind of sort of leads us into the last category here, which would be EEPROM or EEPROM because I'm too lazy to say EE or double E. So I say EEPROM. Maybe I should just say EEPROM. 
you're talking about you read the key with the key tool max or the uh, autel and it will tell you if that key's been locked so like you said if it's been programmed to a key or I'm sorry if that key's been programmed to a car already it knows that so it's not going to let you take one key and set it up so that key can start a fleet of vehicles you know, it won't allow will not allow that interestingly enough at least concerning the key tool max you can buy some boards, and I mean boards like, should we say circuit boards? And then the circuit board of the key you're talking about. So when we're talking about um, these locked keys, a lot of times they're kind of like the Fabics on Chrysler's. Or they have a circuit board in them. Uh, and, and many others, uh, you know, uh, switchblade keys where there's a keyless entry portion in it these are there's a circuit board in there and you can take these circuit boards out of the keys mount them onto these circuit boards that connect to the key tool max and unlock the key i'm not saying that's always cost effective sometimes it's just cheaper to buy a new key i don't know about you guys but i'm running into more and more issues getting my hands on parts period including keys so I do not have a long history of unlocking keys. A lot of them that I've done was really just to see if I could do it. And that's not to ignore the fact that there's certain key, just standard transponder style keys. Uh, we're not talking about a circuit board that these tools will unlock as well. Uh, some of them you can't. Like once they're locked, you're done. It's not to deter people. It's just understand like this is a kind of new world or a different world, if you will. It just expands uh, auto repair, not unlike ADOS, not unlike TPMS, right? There's just different technology, different tools, different terms. Uh, and so it's just to um, not warn you like stay away or, you know, be fearful. Just, you know, educate just so you know here's the heads up oh okay we're gonna have some investments so the unlocking of the keys can be very much circuit board level and that kind of leads us into the uh, eprom world and andrew does way more eprom work than i do i do a decent amount <laughs> you do far more than i do so i will let you try to paraphrase <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so in the EEPROM world, typically what we see is you have an immobilizer um, and maybe it's just its own immobilizer box or maybe it's part of the ECU, maybe it's part of the instrument cluster. But that, that a lot of that information is typically stored on an SOIC chip, an eight-leg chip, um, just an EEPROM, that if we have one of these programmers, we disassemble the the module, the instrument cluster, et cetera, we get down to the circuit board, we can actually connect to it. Sometimes you can do it in circuit where we're actually leaving the chip on the board. Other times, um, and depending on your programmer and depending on the vehicle, you may need to actually remove that chip from the board to be able to put it in the programmer, get the information. Um, and the biggest thing there is, is there are times where if you try to read it in circuit and you don't know that you can't do that with this particular model. You may actually wipe out the information and it's completely gone. It, it, it does take some training. Um, I would recommend anybody who's looking into it, 
take the time, um, look around. There are a lot of training classes all over, um, both in the automotive world and locksmith world as well. But EEPROM, we're going to pull that information out of that chip, and we will actually be able to see the keys. So we can use a, a, another programmer, load that bin file into it, um, and we'll see key one had this ID, key two had this ID. Uh, and a lot of times what we'll do is is we'll remake that key. If all the keys were lost, we'll remake that key. Um, we can just stick maybe an XORS chip in, click generate key, and it's going to make key one with that ID into that chip. And it's just like we have key one all over again, like it was never lost. Um, on the flip side, they also have for some vehicles, not all, uh, early Toyotas, 2000, Toyota Camry, something like that. The immobilizer is on a chip in the ECU. Uh, you can either take the information off that EEPROM or there are ready-to-learn files. So you basically would put this file in that would make it look like this ECU was from the factory, and then it was just ready to go to accept keys. Uh, you would load that file in, put the ECU back in the car, have your new keys ready to go, and usually there's a little bit of a dance, um, either pumping the brake pedal, um, uh, turning the key in the ignition so many times, kind of a sequence thing. And you would program the new keys in that way. So uh, there, there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of different ways to do it. When you get into the EEPROM world, I would definitely say in keys in general, there is definitely a beginner, intermediate, and advanced level. I would definitely say adding keys is just your most basic beginner thing. So if you're getting into this, just start with that. Get comfortable with it. Get comfortable with cutting keys. Step up to doing all keys lost. Um, that's kind of your intermediate phase is, is all keys lost because sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. You might have to get a key code, whereas before you didn't need to because you had a key to decode from or copy. This way, we have to get a key code. Um, some cars, it's a lot more difficult in an all keys lost situation. Others, maybe you just need to get two new keys and cycle two keys in. Ford is a big one of that. Um, GM's newer vehicles um, they require two keys. You can program one key in and the car will start, um, but you will have a theft light on, so you'll need a second key. Our advanced level is going to be that EEPROM world, and the EEPROM world definitely opens us up to more European cars. You will find European cars, typically we are doing some sort of EEPROM, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be specific to European. Just like I said, we had that 2000 Toyota Camry. That is a really common one. The, if that car got towed to the dealer, they would be wanting to replace the ECU. Unfortunately, it's a 2000 Toyota Camry. There probably aren't really any new ECUs anymore. So they're kind of out of luck in that situation. And that's where they actually get uh, towed down to my shop and I can make keys for them. It's a lot less costly than having to replace that ECU and move on. You know, it's kind of hesitant to talk about EEPROM a lot, but we can't not. You know, we're talking about a mobilizer. We can't not talk about EEPROM. The thing with EEPROM is, is it opens up um, the possibility or the potential for more than just a mobilizer. You know, we're talking about being able to, in some cases, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to oversell it either. Uh, but there's potential to, uh, again, with this parts acquisition issue, to maybe make some used modules work uh, where they shouldn't normally be. Uh, able to be used. So, uh, then also with the EEPROM, there's of course the programmers, the like the readers and the programmers, and some of them read really well. Uh, and then you may have to use another tool to read the information off the key to then 
write it back uh, to the chip. There's going to be equipment purchases that aren't just the programmers and readers themselves. That'll be an investment. But then you're also looking at buying a goods uh, soldering station or desoldering station is usually what they're referred to as. A hot air gun. Sometimes they're kind of a all-in-one unit, but like anything, if you buy just a high-quality soldering iron and just a high-quality hot air station, they're probably going to be far better than the all-in-one units. There's also the um, solder suckers. So I have a uh, electric gun that's a solder sucker, Heiko, that I love to death. I mean, it wasn't cheap. It's like 600 bucks, but man, oh man, makes life so easy. It's great for GM clusters. Yes. Yes. On the stepper motors, just bzz, 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 bzz. Also, um, if you have to split boards, so if you have like uh, two circuit boards that are connected by a ribbon cable or uh, even just, you know, what rods that are soldered through that uh, this thing desolders them really fast and you can pull them apart and it just, oh man, it's great. And then like a ma- some sort of a magnifying glass or um, digital microscope. Yeah. Microscope, digital microscopes. Uh, some of them you just look through some of them output to a, a screen, like a, a TV screen. I, you're going to need something. Like I started out with just the, um, the, the glasses one, like the, you wear on your head and you flip down and a couple different uh, multipliers of magnification. That that worked really well. Uh, it's hard to not like the uh, digital ones. Uh, I'm sure there's other ones made by other companies. The ones that come to mind are like Amscope that have the uh, pieces where you look into the binoculars. Yep. As well as outputs to a big screen. Uh, but sometimes when you're soldering or desoldering or, or where you're soldering wires from the programmer to the circuit board or legs of a MCU or an, a chip, uh, it's nice to be able to look through because you're in that position already kind of bent, huddled, hunched over a little bit, look through the binoculars and see what you're doing. And the better, higher quality ones, thus more expensive, allow the gap between the camera and your work area to be larger. So lower quality, that camera's got to be closer. It's harder to work under it. Higher quality ones, much larger gap. It can be quite a bit, you know, quite a ways away and still have really nice zoom with minimal distortion. You know, you're going to probably be looking at a little bit of that. Some of that might have to do with age or um, just eyesight. It's just prepping I think, I think that's what I'm trying to do is prep. So you understand that the uh, investment is, I guess, when you say significant, I suppose that's a relative statement. I say that to customers all the time when they're like, you know, is this repair going to be expensive? I don't know. I mean, one person, we gave them an estimate for $500 and they about came over the counter. The next person we told them was going to be $10,000 and they thought it was a steal. So who am I to say? Granted, two totally different jobs, but one's brakes and the other was an engine. But I mean, who am I to say what's significant? But I'm just for the immobilizer stuff and and EEPROM stuff. I have 
I'm, I am hovering in the 30 K range for investment. Yeah, I'm definitely up there as well. And I, I would expect you to, yeah, be well <laughs> above what I have. I, I'm sitting here in my head going, okay, that one's this much. Like, I'm just going to stop. Yeah. And I don't want that to, uh, I don't want anybody to get scared about that. Like the reason I have purchased this and I'm sure Matt as well, the reason we have, we have made these purchases is because we started small yes, and then we got more business and we got more business. Uh, when I originally decided I was going to do keys, uh, I talked to all my employees about it and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And everything, every single one of them thought I was nuts. They were like, Nope, stupid idea. You're the boss, whatever you want to do. Okay. I originally thought my return on investment was going to be about a year before I paid off the key machine. Um, and my original purchase was an auto. I am 608. I had everything paid off in four months. That was all it took four months. And I had everything paid off and, and my employees turned around and went, Whoa, like we can really do some great things with this. And not only that, it, it, it gets our customers happy because we're able to help them. The reason I want to bring that up is just start small and just see where you go from it. If, if your area can support you doing a lot with a mobilizer and key work, go for it. Make the money, be there for your customers. But if it's just, if the only availability you have is maybe have a key cutter, maybe have a key machine and just adding keys, maybe do some all keys lost, but not getting too in depth. Do that as well, you know, find out your area, what your situation is. I know some people live in cities that are very heavy with locksmiths. Um, I know for myself, and I believe Matt as well, we are not heavy on locksmiths at all. And we are sizable communities that need the service. I own a towing company, and I saw that we were regularly towing vehicles to the dealership. And that was one other reason why I decided to jump into it was just, hey, here's another option besides having to go to the dealership. Uh, the biggest thing for us is we would drive in, drop the car off. We'd tow something else a week later and find out that car is still sitting there and it's been there for a week. Whereas if it would have came to us a day, maybe two, maybe three, if we had to order a key in, you know, and we're getting the vehicle back to the customer a lot more quickly. So do a little research on your area, find out, you know, if, if it's a good position for you to do, I believe most people will find that they they can actually get some profit out of it. Are you going to be absolutely rich from it? No, but you're definitely make some profit for your shop and open up your availabilities. Uh, also, considering a mobilizer work goes hand in hand with a lot of module programming and service work on these cars these days. Yeah, and if you can beat uh, others to the punch, you become the market leader. You, you can corner and own a market. And uh, for me, that was what, I was after. Uh, I kind of wanted to be the the first, and then of course a, a dealer alternative. Not realizing how much I would end up helping the dealers, which I again I have no problems with. I'm not really out there to take over or monopolize anything. I would like to expand the entire market for everybody, make the pie bigger. Um, I will probably be putting together a um, eprom dedicated episode here. Because it's it ends up it's a it's a big topic and just kind of like scan tools right with the programmers and all that it's some of them do certain things better than others. There's so many available too. Yep, so many of them out there. And then, like you said, I didn't I didn't just plunk down all the money and get it. 
I kind of bought as I needed, you know, so I gambled on some, you know, tried to predict uh, some of them. I, I did really well and some not so much, but then as I needed, as I saw a need, order the uh, tools up. And uh, a lot of times the customers don't have a choice, but to wait and, you know, you can get the tools there relatively quickly. It's not like you're putting somebody out for weeks and weeks or a month. Um, but nowadays, you know, honestly, <laughs> with the, the part situation, the, the alternative is longer waiting for a new module uh, or, or keys even. Whatever the parts may be, they, they may be waiting. This gives you an opportunity to uh, get them back on the road sooner. Yeah. Andrew, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed actually being on and just having a chat about this and uh, hopefully uh, maybe we'll see more people at Vision this this following year. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite topics. I don't know why. Just something we end up talking about regularly anyways. <laughs> so it's great to sit down and chat. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I really do appreciate it. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out via social media, Instant Messenger, or um, Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Napa, for sponsoring, and thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for everything you guys do to help me out and help the profession out with the uh, growing amount of content you guys are putting out. And uh, until next time, everyone take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.